The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. Deuteronomy chapter 6, 1 through 9, titled, Love the Lord Your God. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all these decrees and commandments that I have given you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. This is the word of the Lord. Pastor Josh will unpack our message today. Glorious. 19 hours. I was with our middle school students for 19 hours from Friday night until Saturday afternoon, and I practically had to crawl into church this morning. Um, I had a hoot with them. It was fun. It was so awesome to see what God is doing in their lives. But my gosh, was it exhausting. And I'm telling you this because today we're going to be talking about how we pass on our faith as a family. We're going to be talking about parenting. And I don't have kids. And it's always weird for me as a pastor to have to talk about a subject that I don't have direct experience with, right? Like we just got a puppy, which is like parenting light, light, light. But I can leave my puppy in a metal cage for five hours and it's not like some humane crisis. You can't do that as a parent, right? And so the idea that I'm going to talk about parenting definitely needs some prayer uh, and definitely needs to be firmly foundation, the foundation of Scripture and not Josh's best thinking on parenting. Because as any parent in this room will know, you have no idea what it's like to have kids until you have kids. So we're going to pray. We're going to jump into some Scripture. Heavenly Father, you're a good God. You are a God who uh, calls us uh, to be your children. Lord, you are the ultimate father, a loving father who cares for and nourishes and raises up children, uh, who then pass that story on to the next generation. Lord, I pray that as we uh, explore what it looks like to pass on our faith, Father, that uh, you give us courage, you give us your insight, your wisdom into the lives of our students, of our kids. Lord, that you give us grace. Lord, as we realize that we're not perfect at this, and we're never going to be perfect at this, and yet we have a perfect God who specializes in taking broken situations and doing something awesome with them. Lord, we say this all in your son's precious name. Amen. So I want to start off today just by uh, confirming a truth. Every person who is in this room today is here because someone else shared their faith with them, Right? None of us spontaneously understood by ourselves who God was, a God who fights for you, a God who loves you. None of us came up by our own understanding who Jesus is, the death and the resurrection. All of us are here because someone along their way passed their faith on to us. For a lot of us, it was our parents. 
but it could have been a friend, it could have been a spouse, it could have been a sibling. But somewhere along the way, and in fact for most of us, it's not just one person, but a group of people have passed on what they believed about who God was, what they had seen God do, what they had witnessed in their own life, and they passed it on to the next generation. They passed it on to us. And the really humbling thing is they didn't by themselves come up with it. Someone passed it on to them. And our family spiritual tree, our spiritual ancestry, comes from Jesus himself. It started with one man who shows up and he says, I'm God's son. I am the divine made flesh, right? I've come and he teaches God's story and he teaches God's truth. And he raises up these 12 apostles, these 12 followers, and he says, now I want you to go. And I want you to teach those same truths of who I am, what I'm willing to do, how I will fight for people. And it actually ends up becoming a reverse pyramid scheme, right? So typically pyramid schemes work. One guy starts it off, and other people feed into him. They give him money, and they get people below him, and that money goes that way, right? Jesus does it the opposite way. He says, if you want to be great, you'll become the servant of all, and so he serves all. And so the pyramid's upside down. You've got Jesus on the bottom, who's the foundation, and he starts loving upwards, right? And then he says, now you go, and you love, and you love, and you love, and that's how we're all here today. Our spiritual ancestry is because somewhere along the way, someone told someone we knew about who Jesus was, about who God was, a God who fights for them, and they told someone else. And they told someone else. And generation after generation after generation, we get to hear. And the reason why we're talking about this today is because as a church, we've been retooling how we pass on our faith. How we pass on our faith in kids' ministry. How we pass on our faith with our middle school students, with our high school students, with college students, with adults. We've been re-looking at the foundation of our church, who is Christ, but trying to figure out, all right, how do we do this in 2019 in Leander, Texas? And so we've been spending a lot of time in Scripture, and certainly we've been spending time in that Deuteronomy passage. Moses has led the people out of Egypt, out of slavery. God gives them this land, Israel, and he says this to them. He says, these are the commands and the decrees and the laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing into Jordan so that your children and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all of his decrees and commands that I give you so that, they may, so that you may enjoy a long life. What I love about this is, right, this is ancestry. This is familial. This is God saying, it's not just for you. It's not just what I'm going to do for you, but it's what I'm going to do for your next generation. Your sons, your daughters, your grandchildren. It goes on, it says, Hear Israel and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Ah, there we go. These commands that I give you today are to be on your hearts. And then he says this, so impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you're stuck in traffic on I-183, when you lie down and when you get up. 
Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. We actually wrote scripture on the framing of this church, of this building. When we were framing it out, we wrote this scripture on the frames. We wrote other scriptures of who Jesus was. And then we put the drywall up, literally to be a foundation for who we are and what we believe as a church. And what I love about this scripture, and not just here in Deuteronomy, but it's a common theme in the Old Testament and the New Testament, is that there is a familial, corporate, community aspect of faith. So much so that if it's only about your personal faith, or your child's personal faith, or my personal faith, it's incomplete. God has something deeper. God has something fuller, in a sense. And God doesn't have grandchildren. This threw me off. This threw me for a loop the first time someone said this to me. But God wants us all to be his kids, not his grandkids. Faith doesn't get passed on. Well, because my mom is a believer... I'm in the family, right? Because that's how other families work. If your children have kids, they're still part of the family because they're the grandchildren. But within faith, every generation is brought into the family. Every generation gets to be a direct child of God, loved by God, and created by God. And so there is no family tree in the sense of, well, I'm the, you know, fifth generation grandchild removed from this. It doesn't work that way. God wants a more personal, a more relatable relationship with each of us. And we're going to talk about some, what I'm going to call parent traps, but it's not just about being parents. It's about all of us, how we're raising up the next generation. One of the most humbling aspects of going on this middle school retreat was this truth, this realization that the middle school students I was the pastor of. Kids ministry, I'm the pastor of. And not that I am the end-all, be-all, but we're not supposed to outsource Christian community, right? And that doesn't mean I'm going to run kids' ministry, but it means that I have a role in them. God has put me in their life to help raise them up in the same way that God has put me in every person's life in this church to help be raised up, to be learn what it looks like to follow Christ, to learn about a God who loves them and what that looks like as Lord. So when we say parent trap, it's not just about if you have kids. This is our family. This is our spiritual family. And all the kids are our kids. And yes, we may have more direct responsibility for some of them than others, but God says, no, this is going to be a corporate thing. This is going to be a family thing that we're going to do together. So, parent trap number one. This is a pretty big myth that we see in America, that faith and spirituality is at its core a personal thing. And so we keep it personal. Not only personal, we keep it self-designed, right? And so we each end up trying to design and master our own God and what he's going to look like. But as soon as we start creating God, he starts to look like our own image. And what you find is our own image can't save us, right? My best thinking, my best creation of a God, if it was left up to me personally, isn't going to be able to protect me. Let that sink in for a moment. If we let the next generation create their own God or figure it out by themselves, that God will not 
be able to protect them because it won't be real. And no one in this room is here because they created their own God. No, we, were, we got passed down the story, the witness, the truth of who Jesus is. And that's a God who can defend us. That's a God who fights for us. That's a God who loves us. As opposed to what we see in Psalms, the idols of the nations. So the gods, the little g gods of the nations, they're silver and gold or bank accounts or jobs or substances, whatever we think is going to protect us, made by human hands, and they have mouths, but they, they can't speak to you. They can't comfort you when you're in distress. They have eyes, but they're actually not looking at you. They can't see. They have ears, but when you cry out to them, when you're in distress, when you need help, they can't hear you. Nor is their breath in their mouth because they're not alive. They're not real. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. You see, if we leave the next generation, any generation, to figure out God by themselves, that's what we're leaving them to. Because none of us got here in this room by ourselves. We got here because someone else passed on something to us. And so what's the solution? Well, it's passing on the foundation that we have. But, and here's the other aspect of this, realizing that God uniquely designed them to see things, to be a part of his reflection here on earth, and to look for that. And that was another really cool moment that I got to have with the middle school students. I had to look at each of them in the eyes and say, you were designed by God for this church. And he uniquely equipped you to be a part of what he is doing here. Not just when you're an adult, right? From little kids to big kids to kids with kids. He says, you were designed uniquely by God to be what he is doing. And so we both receive what's been passed on to us, but then we look towards the future. I had this realization that typically when we do quote-unquote confirmation and the kids are confirmed, it ends by saying, what does God mean to you? I don't think that's the right question. I think the right questions are, what has been passed on to you? And what is your hope for the future of the church you want to be a part of? What are you going to add how did God uniquely design you to be a part of what he is doing locally and what has been passed on to you? What faith, what truth, what belief, what strength? We're calling Confirmation Foundations because of this scripture in Ephesians. Together, we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. That's what we say in communion, right? For I pass on to you what, was, I, what I received, I pass on to you, Paul says built on the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone, the thing that holds it all together, is Christ himself. And we are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made a part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. Because the foundation is Christ. The teachings of Christ that were passed on by the apostles, that were passed on, that were passed on, that were passed on, that were passed on, all the way to Leander, Texas. All the way to our homes. That God was fighting for us. 
that he was connecting us into him, and that's the foundation that we're standing on. But then that kind of leads us to a different path we can take, a different trap we can fall into, where all of a sudden, okay, I am passing on my faith to someone, but Christian dogma is essentially saying what we believe about God, right? And so we try to Xerox copy, you have to articulate and believe about God the exact same way I do, right? Now, there are times where it's helpful to have common language, right? And so we have the Apostles' Creed, which is the statement of faith that for generations, literally 2,000 years, Christians have said, this is who we believe our God is, right? So we have traditions, this living faith of the dead that we pass on, but it's not photocopied, right? It's not saying exactly how I see God, exactly how I relate to God is going to be the exact same thing that you are. But sometimes we fall into that trap. As a pastor, I fall into that trap. But the irony is I believe something different today than I did two weeks ago, right? My faith has changed in two weeks. And so if I were to go back to Josh pre-middle school retreat, I actually saw things differently. I thought about things differently. So I don't even agree with myself from 48 hours ago, right? And yet we think we all have to agree 100% here and now, and it's just not practical. And in fact, it will gunk up them connecting to Christ, if all of a sudden we turn Jesus and we turn truth into a bunch of propositions, right? If if that's all faith is, are the propositions of this is true and this is true and this is true and this is true, we actually end up separating from who Christ is and what Christ is doing. This comes from 1 Corinthians 13, and it says, If I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but I do not love, I am a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, and if I can fathom all the mysteries and all the knowledge, if I know every answer, if I have faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. So not only is it not just right thinking, Paul says, even if you do everything right, if you try to photocopy that, he goes, if that's all you have, you're still missing something. See, if you're missing a relationship with Christ and the love of Christ and the lordship of Christ, and this is a big one, this lordship, this idea that he's actually in control. That this good God, this good hero who fights for us and redeems us, who loves us, that he's the one in control. If we're missing this, we're missing everything. It doesn't matter if I know all the right answers about who he is. It doesn't matter if I can recite the Apostles' Creed forward and backwards. It doesn't matter if I do all the right things, quote unquote. It's connecting kids to Jesus. It's connecting us to Jesus and saying, he is capable of leading your life. Because my darkest places have come when I was in control. My best thinking of, this will make me happy. If I just get this thing, or if I just do this, or if this finally gets fixed. Sorry, my keys got trapped. If I get, and I end up in a really dark and lonely place. But when he's in control, when he's leading me, when he's guiding me, 
Well, I experienced this. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. When I'm connected to him, I am connected to God's way, to God's truth, and God's life. And the powerful thing about this statement is when he says, what is God's truth? He doesn't give propositions. He gives his son. You want to know what truth is? It's Jesus. You want to know what the Christian faith is? True theology, true dogma, it's Jesus. It's a person. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't true statements. But those true statements find their life and their place under the lordship of Jesus. Under his mission, his passion, his story. And once we're in a relationship with him, all the other stuff makes sense. All the other stuff finds its place. The last trap that we fall into is a personal one. We underestimate what God has done in our life and the power that that has to speak truth into the lives of this next generation. The most powerful thing that you can do as a parent, the most powerful thing that we can do as a community for the next generation, quite frankly, for this generation as adults, is to give witness and testimony to what God is doing in our lives. So we talked about this on the weekend retreat. This church is a church full of the island for misfit toys, right? None of us work the way we're supposed to. All of us have made mistakes. All of us have rebelled. All of us have been in a dark and lonely place and a God showed up who said, I love you and I'll fight for you and I'm not done with you yet. And that testimony and that power gets passed on. And the truth of the strength that provided us is what we get to give to the next generation. And how powerful is this? This is in the middle of the Ten Commandments. Moses and God are speaking to the people, and God says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven or the earth beneath or in the waters below. He says, nope, it's me or bust. He says, you shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I am the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. We see this, don't we? We see generational sin. We see families where grandpa was an alcoholic, so dad's an alcoholic, so son's an alcoholic. We see families where there is gossip, and you can watch it all the way through, right? You can, you literally, you can see the through line. Grandma struggled with it, so mom's going to struggle with it, so I'm going to struggle with it. Sin has consequences. And every single one of us in this room has both been affected by our family sin, and we have added to it. And the truth is, it's going to affect us to the third and the fourth generation. But what's awesome, and this is where we have the truth, and this is where we stand on the foundation, it doesn't end there. Right? So sin has power to the third and the fourth generation, but showing love to a thousand generations for those who love me. You want to know how much more powerful God's love is? God's care is? God's truth is? God's life is? It ripples out for a thousand generations. We're not even a thousand generations removed from when this was written. 
which means the promises that God was giving to the people of Israel are literally still rippling out here today. Because as parents, as a community, we make mistakes. And we have made mistakes with our kids. And we have made mistakes with our family. And we could beat ourselves up and be like, because of my sin, or because of just generational sin, it's still affecting them. Okay, that's true. But the power and the strength and the promise of God's love to a thousand generations when we're in sync with him and when we're following him. Guys, no matter what you have done, he has forgiven you, and he is working to redeem and to transform every generation. And the power is the one of magnitude over evil. Yeah, evil has power, but in compared to God, it's nothing. Again, it's messy and it's hard because we're all trying to figure this thing out, right? We're all trying to raise up our kids in this next generation, in fact, this current generation, to see God. And every family struggles with it. My family struggles with it. So my family's known for a while that I was going to be a pastor, pretty young. Um, and there was a family member of mine, and I'm going to name them Sam, because Sam could be both a male or a female, but there was a family member, Sam, and uh, I, my phone blew up one night, and every one of my family was calling me, aunts, uncles, moms, dads, just, just phones blowing up, which freaks me out, right, because I'm thinking there might be an emergency. Did someone die? Is grandma okay? Is grandpa okay? And eventually, uh, I get the phone call from Sam, and it says, yeah, so you've probably heard from the family. They're pretty upset. I told them I don't believe in God anymore. And there was a lot of family relations that had some understandably, visibly, concern. And there were tears, and there were accusations, and there was this debate that was raging on in my family, and Sam says, well, you're going to be the pastor, so now it's your turn to chastise me, to tell me I'm wrong. And I said, well, I mean, you know I'm going to be pastor, so you know I believe in God. And she's Yes, Sam says, I, I know you believe in God. And I said, okay, well, I love you. And Sam's response is, no, 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 now is when you debate with me. Now is when you convince me I'm wrong. And I said, no, I'm not going to do that. Just know that I love you, all right? So that was day one. Well, the next two years became what I considered the era of, the era of debate, where anytime Sam and I would sit down and God would come up, it would be a, well, what about this? And what about, th-? and it was clearly a, they had an idea, and they wanted to attack whatever my idea was. And I'm like, I don't really want to participate in that. But I love you, and you know I love God, and I believe in God. And that was it. And then that era of debate led to one where the posture changed, and there were some real honest questions of like, well, Josh, how do you deal with the evil in the world? How do you deal when you look at the news and you see what's happened? And how can a good God allow that? And then I was able to speak a little bit into this is how I wrestle with that. I don't have all the answers, but this is where I'm at. Well, flash forward a little bit further down the line, and I remember exactly where we were on a walk. Sam said, can we go for a walk? I said, yes, and we're walking around the block. And Sam says, so I believe in God again. I'm like, oh, cool. And we walked a little bit more, and Sam stopped and said, your reactions aren't right. You should have freaked out when I said I didn't believe in God, and you should be celebrating beyond belief that I believe in God now. I'm like, oh, I mean, I'm happy. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm really glad, and we're still on a journey, and we'll see where this goes, and I'm happy. But, but why aren't you as emotional on this as the rest of the family is? And I said, well, when you called me, God kind of gave me this vision. And the vision was of Sam running as 
far as Sam could from God. But in that vision, God was chasing after Sam. And I just had this peace that God's legs were better than yours. <laughs> that you could run, but he was going to chase you. And that one day you'd stop running and he'd still be chasing you. I said, you want to know why I believe that? Because I've run from God. As far as I could, as fast as I could. And he chased me. And he caught up with me. And he wrapped his arms around me and he says, I want you to be my child. And I love you. And then a community of God wrapped its arms around me and passed on deeper truths and understanding. I said, Sam, at the end of the day, if I'm going to find a place to plant my faith on your faith, I'm going to put it on God. And I'm going to give that witness as best I can, and I'm going to be honest about who God is in my life and how he loves you, and I'm going to try to pass that on, but it's not based on how good of a parent you are or how good of a sibling you are or how good of a spouse you are. Because we can pick up that emotional baseball bat and just beat ourselves, I should have said this or I should have done that. or what. It's not on us. We have an opportunity to pass on. We have a community that we get to do that with and we get to work it out with. But just really hear me in this. When it comes to the next generation, when it comes to this generation, you have a God who's chasing after you, chasing after your kids. He's going to chase after their kids too. And that's the hope of this church. God, you are a good God. You are a God who invites us into your family. Lord, and uh, you give us the hope that we don't have to do this alone. Lord, we come before you now asking that you speak, asking that you open our eyes to when we should speak, the words to tell the story of how you've worked in our lives, and the peace to know that wherever people are at, whether they're running to you or running away from you, that your legs are still there too. Lord, I'm excited to see what this next generation does with the church. I'm excited to see how they leave the church better than where they found it. Lord, that they love better than we do, that they can articulate your love better than I can. Lord, I'm excited to see what you do with our family. We say this all in our son's precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at axechurchleander.com.